Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Faith here with a welcome toast. If you like to eat, drink, and be merry, you're in the right place. It was Rita Mae Brown who said, lead me not into temptation. I can find the way myself. Please feel free to consume this show podcast in one bite, two bites, or oops, I ate the whole thing. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. Feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Welcome, everybody. This is the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I'm Chris Prosper. And I'm Alex Province. We're sitting in for Faith, who's away, but we'll be back soon. We're also joined by our regular Food Schmooze contributor, Mark Raymond from Frederick Wildman & Sons, Connecticut bartender Anthony DeSaria, and senior producer Robin doyen Aiken. Cheers, guys. Hey. 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 <laughs> but a different kind of cheers today. We're clinking coffee mugs yes, instead I of martini yes. glasses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know Anthony's got a coffee cocktail for us coming up, but before we get to that, I want to know how you guys take your coffee and how deep <laughs> how deep your love runs. For me, I like my coffee flavored, so usually a light roast and nutty, mm. never fruity. And I like a little milk in every cup and no sugar because I drink That's a lot a of coffee, coffee and yeah. that means a lot of sugar. So I, I learned how to like coffee without sugar. I'm one of those people, so <laughs> that means don't even look at me until I've had my first few sips. My, yep. my kids understand this. They don't dare ask where their cleats or earbuds are or backpacks or anything until I'm in my happy place (laughs) and coffee brings me to my happy place so chris i've seen you with a cappuccino in hand while you're cooking for us i want to know how you like your coffee what's your routine i find there's different categories for coffee people i think you were well defined in your category right (laughs) no seriously a little bit of milk no sugar right Mm -hmm. and the types of coffee you like you know boom in there and now that we know how to make her coffee yeah no no excuse bringing one with us when we come in the studio (laughs) now we know (laughs) smart people are always kind to their producers when anthony's 15 minutes late so Robin and I were talking about her husband earlier and his category for coffee, and I find I fit into Steve's category perfectly. Mm-hmm. And that's the category of it needs to be brown. Yeah, right. I know. And it's yeah. funny because at the restaurant, we really pride ourselves at Metro Abuse, and we work really hard at finding a really good coffee. We had it blended for us, but it's an amazing coffee. And I love it. It's a great, robust cup of coffee, but mm-hmm. I can literally drink any coffee as long as yeah. it's brown. I mean, everyone's like, oh, bad coffee. I could drink bad coffee as long as it has caffeine yep. in it. Can you drink it out? Can you drink it out of anything? I any can kind drink of cup, it out of anything. Styrofoam. Yeah, you can put it in styrofoam. Yep. Just make sure it has the caffeine in it. Absolutely. All right, so let's go around the room. Let's start with you, Alex, and your coffee routine or coffee category. Matt makes coffee for me every morning. And spoiled the pampered oh, coffee. And if boy. he's away on a business trip, you don't I'm have sort of, coffee. Don't know what to do. <laughs> you get takeout. I, I don't know what to do. So do we need to call him? find out what coffee you drink. You know, I don't think it's anything special. Well, we heat up our milk. So Mm -hmm. it's a ratio of whole milk, Mm -hmm. a splash of heavy cream. It goes into the microwave. We use turbinado sugar, which I think, you know, Mm -hmm. gives it like a creaminess. But other than that, I'm not picky. 
Anthony? Oh boy. Does it have, does it have Sambuca in it? Are you ready? No, no, that's later. That's I want to know. I want to know how a guy who closes the bar. Yeah, yeah. So he gets home at two a.m. Yeah, so what what, what do you do? What I do coffee? is uh, my first cup of coffee is the very first thing I do in the yeah. morning. Okay. I will do a coffee light and sweet, heavy cream, yeah. lots of sugar. I drink an entire pot of coffee a day, eight to twelve cups a day. All, Not at once. I'll I have a mug in my hand all, all day, day long. long. All with lots of sugar. So I I start off with the light and sweet, <laughs> yep. and I will throw that down in about five seconds. Yep. Fill a second cup. As I start drinking it, I'll just keep warming it up, but I will not add oh. any more cream and sugar. So by the end of the day, I'm drinking black coffee. Gotcha. But it and takes a long time to transition so because you're just topping it off. You just keep topping it off all <laughs> day so long. Cool. And I just walk around with a mug in my hand constantly. Travel mug? That mug stays with me, and I will also start just topping it off at the coffee pot from the bar. And then at the end of the night, yes, I will put uh, either a little Zambuca or the uh, St. George coffee And do you liqueur. drink all the way through to the end of the night? That's all the, the way through. Does yeah, it see, affect – I mean do you get nervous? I've been drinking coffee since yeah. I was five. Yeah. All right. Mark? So my coffee routine varies depending on where I am. I travel a lot, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. all over New England. Mm-hmm. If I'm homebound, I have a wonderful Lavazza pod nice. espresso maker that my family got me on my Fancy. 40th birthday. Nice. And, um, recently. So I, <laughs> yes, recently. Still learning so, to use So, you know, it. a couple espressos in the morning while I'm having my eggs. It's the warranty Perfect. on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it gets maintained often. There's a little place out in Waterbury that fixes them. What I'll do on uh, Sunday, just to mix it up, is I'll throw a little touch of cinnamon in there yep. and a little bit of maple syrup. Nice. Natural Good maple fancy. Vermont syrup. It just kicks it up a notch, gives you a little bit of that additional sweetness. It's so a nice little treat. On Sunday, I have an express stovetop espresso right. pot maker. And then I also have the little mixer kind of thing. on a. It's a wand stick. Oh, like yeah. A, a yeah. whisk, an electric yeah. whisk. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. to froth the milk. So I heat up a little 2% milk in a pan. I pour it in my coffee mug and I hit it with that thing and I froth my milk. Nice. And then I make a double espresso. And I pour it in there and I do a little bit of maple syrup in it or maple sugar in it. And that's only on Sundays, though, because that takes some time. I tell you, for people who haven't had maple syrup in their coffee, it's a Mm. really neat experience. And we have so much maple syrup at home because I can never pass a farm stand without buying it in the the spring. But I remember as a kid being – my mom's from Spain, so we'd always fly to um, to Spain, but we would fly via Lisbon. You'd end up with a pocket full of Escudo back before the Euro, and Portugal has the best coffee, some of the best coffee I've ever had. Mm. remember just going and spending all my pocket change on uh, airport coffee in Portugal, and it was so, so good. I'm always curious if Europeans roast coffee differently than we do. I don't know if they roast it or if is it a freshness thing because it, we're American, so we're the Costco people, right? I, right. I do too. I, I'll buy coffee for my house in like you know a bushel bag because yeah. it's on sale. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our coffee is drastically different than yeah. European coffee. It's uh, I remember uh, a month ago there was a young girl that came up to the bar I was working at. They were having espresso martinis. Just got on the topic of coffee, and she says, your coffee is horrible. Oh. There's no flavor to it. There's nothing. She goes, it's supposed to be no. strong, and it's supposed to wake you up and give you a kick. Not here. <laughs> No, I don't know if you drink a pot of it like you do. Yeah, you've got to do – you drink a pot like me. We're going to have someone on in the next segment who's going to take care of this for us. There are these small coffee roasters that are making world-class coffee here. One who's right here in New Haven that really does make coffee I think you could put up against any coffee in the world. Oh, absolutely. And I think – yeah, maybe the mass produce isn't the same because I have a friend Lou, my friend Lou, and he actually took a – do you remember the Ron Papil? 
Oh. Uh, set it and forget it. Yes. yes. Okay. So there's a bunch of coffee aficionados out there that actually made <laughs> Where an is attachment. this going? No, they made an attachment for that, and it's a barrel coffee roaster. No kidding. That oh, fits really? in there, offset, so it rotates the wow. beans. He actually made it fancy and actually hooked it to a central vac and vacs out the smoke that it makes. But the point being is that wow. when you roast coffee and you drink it within that first few days or that week, because he does it once a yeah, week. Yeah, you want it fresh. It makes a huge difference. Once it's roasted and then you drink it a month and a half later, it's a totally different thing. So maybe that's the European thing where they have that with their beer. They have that sure. with a lot of the things where they just do it a little fresher than we do. All right. So this is a good way to uh, transition to food, right? Yes. I like yeah, food. You know, food Mark is good. was saying that he puts a little maple in his coffee. Yeah. And while I have had maple flavored coffee, because mm-hmm. I will try any flavor mm-hmm. except blueberry and other fruit, fruit stuff. Ones. I have had a maple coffee and I haven't loved it, but in the coffee glaze that you made for us today, yeah. I was having a piece of steak with the coffee glaze. You made an awesome Delicious, meal for us. By our, the way. Right? Our pre-show meal. Yeah. yeah. And I was picking up that maple and I was like, that's amazing. I it loved really it. It really is. Yeah. yeah. I made a coffee glaze that can go with anything, like I'm saying, anything off the grill. Chicken, pork, especially steak. I know, and a lot of my chefs were watching me. They were like, oh, you should put this in it. You should put that in it. But you know what? I wanted to keep it very plain and simple. So all I did was take two cups of beef broth, and I went and got Kitchen Basics. But whatever brand you like in the supermarket, right? A lower sodium one, the better. I took a half a cup of really strong coffee, a tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce, a quarter cup of maple syrup. And then I thickened it with some cornstarch and brought it up to a simmer, added a little bit of salt and some fresh ground pepper. And then I whisked in two tablespoons of butter. And the coffee and the maple kind of married in there, which I wasn't expecting. I knew I wanted sweet in there because people put sugar in their coffee. You got to have a I knew that's what I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I was right. That came out so good. So we're going to put this on the website. And people try it. Incredible. And then make it your own. Like if you put spices like you would put in a barbecue rub. Absolutely. That would – like cumin, <laughs> right? coriander, great... those things would work really well with it. Absolutely. All right. Next food item on the agenda just got handed to me. <laughs> oh, yes. And it's a pudding pop. No. <laughs> I was going to say it's a pudding pop. It's an actual coffee – Ice pop. Yes. This is Alex is wearing some of it. Alex is wearing his. Alex, you're actually wearing some right (laughs) now. Alex just bathed in it. Like I said, Alex, you can wear anything. (laughs) This is delicious, by the way. I literally poured it down my shirt. (laughs) So how's it feeling? It's it's not so comfortable. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, it's delicious. When you you recover, you need to tell me what's in this because it's really, really really good. It's almost chocolatey. Yeah. Uh, What is it? Do tell. So I had this idea when everything coffee. I was thinking mm-hmm. I should make a cafe con leche popsicle. Mm-hmm. So basically, there is no recipe, mm-hmm. and I have no idea how I made it. <laughs> but I took a big bowl. I added a couple of cans of condensed milk, the okay. unsweetened condensed milk. Yep. Yep. And then uh. I sweetened it with condensed sweetened milk. Mm-hmm. I added um, espresso Italian espresso powder instead of uh, regular you know, watered-down coffee, mm-hmm. thinking it would keep the water content down. Mm-hmm. Then I thought it needed a little bit of chocolate, so mm-hmm. I added some... Some powdered French chocolate that I had and whisked that in. I added uh, some cinnamon to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And a little dash of vanilla. <laughs> and I whisked it all together and oh. froze it. How did it I, come out? I, I just like oh down that whole thing. Yeah, this is fantastic. I don't know. You, you didn't write it down, but I think you're going to have to write it down. So, Ro- Robin, you, you ate down. two of them, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. This is Robin's so good. Notice when Robin look gets at, look quiet. At, she needs a napkin over there. Yeah. 
So just she's kind of dribbling down her chin. <laughs> so that's, that's why she's not talking. You, you got to write this down. You know, yeah, this we is, were and we yeah. were talking earlier about possibly adding some alcohol to it, but you know, yeah. after tasting it, or just leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Just leave it alone. That is so Although good. Although you could turn this into a martini, that would be fantastic. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So as uh, Faith would say, it is time for cocktails. Mm-hmm. So, our favorite time. Our favorite time. Our favorite time. So uh, what I, you know, being a show based on coffee, yeah. and how could you not address uh, the late Dick Bradsell's espresso martini, or what was originally called the vodka espresso back in 1980? There's a really great story about how that cocktail came to be. Uh, there's a bartender secret. It was made for a supermodel. Only we know her name, and uh, wow. so that's a top sworn, secret. Sworn to secrecy. Sworn to secrecy. All right, all right. We can imagine. So um, I just wanted to do a twist on the espresso martini because okay. we've all had a million of them, and you know sometimes yeah. it's just time to reinvent. This time we did it with aged rum. Wow. I used the Real McCoy five-year aged rum, dark roast coffee instead mm-hmm. of espresso, one ounce. Uh, nice. The recipe is on the website, yeah. foochmoose.org. And then I uh, went over to our friends at St. George Spirits, who we've talked about their raspberry yeah, yeah. liqueur. They also make a New Orleans coffee liqueur. I'm replacing Kahlua with this. And it is, uh, it's oh, yeah. not rum-based. Yeah. This is a cold-pressed yeah. vodka-infused uh, Ethiopian coffee with French chicory and Madagascar vanilla. Yeah. I'm picking up uh, the chicory. It's yeah. really delicious. So there's a lot of spice notes into it. Yeah. I thought it would play well yep. with the caramel of the aged rum. Yeah. I did a coffee syrup instead of simple syrup, so just equal parts hot coffee mm. to sugar. Just shook all that together. Got a nice yeah. little crema on top, and, and I then like yeah. I took some too. Aztec chocolate bitters and yeah. just dashed that on top for a garnish. And, and, it, and it looks perfect. like coffee. So, it right, really does. The color, it, it, yeah. it's the it color meets, of black it coffee. It meets and, my criteria for coffee. So, <laughs> so you get those caramel notes, and it blends well. And, and again, our friends from St. George and Real McCoy uh, well just really played mm. very well together. Yep. I like that you bring us these little secrety kind of ingredients. Yep. That you use. I would think just because you say coffee martini, I would. I don't know why. I would think Tia Maria. And yeah, Kahlua. Tia Maria. Kahlua. It was just. It's it almost just, automatic. Kahlua was king since like the seventies. But there are smaller, well-made, sure. right, higher quality yeah. types of liqueurs out there. Oh yeah, and oftentimes these brands don't have as much sugar. They don't have artificial flavors right. or colorants. I would use this in my coffee glaze. Yeah. Do you know mm. what I mean? Instead of the strong coffee. Yeah. Or along with the strong coffee, flambe that out. Get the burn out the alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, so you're absolutely. left really with that coffee flavor. That would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Cheers, guys. Cheers. All right. Now that we've done cocktails, where do we go but wine? When I think of wines that have that essence of coffee in them, I think of deep, dark red wines. And two areas that I really think that you know show that sort of coffee flavor. One is areas that grow Syrah. So ah. deep, dark Syrah from Australia that have that rich, dark – they almost have some eucalyptus notes, but they will have some of that cocoa and coffee. And then going over into uh, Spain, you won't get it with the younger versions of Mm -hmm. Tempranillo. Alex, when you start thinking about like Gran Reserva – Mm-hmm. And then you yeah. get those cocoa notes and that mm-hmm. coffee note in there. You know, depending on the producer, I think of El Coto de Imas Gran Reserva yeah, yeah. definitely has that sort of uh, coffee flavor on the finish, which I absolutely love. Another fun one I would think of is uh, Pinotage from South Africa. Oh, yes. sure. So yeah. It's just yes. quintessential coffee. And uh, it's interesting because when you think of coffee rubs on meat, wines that have those coffee flavors sort of um, marry very marry well. Marry so perfectly. I brought a, um, a Gigandas from the south of France. Okay, this is gorgeous. It's uh, La Fonte de Notre Dame. So it's the fountain of Notre Dame. And you guys might remember this was the fountain that uh, medieval people used to go to during the bubonic plague. And they thought it cured the plague. Okay. Mm. So interesting. 
But Gigandas is sort of lesser known than Chateauneuf de Pop. It's mostly Grenache, so a you know Southern French, Spanish grape, mix a little Mouvedre. But when you taste it, you get like coffee and mocha and some licorice. I thought it was fun for today because with summer and barbecuing, this would like oh, yeah. pair so beautifully with lambs, any kind of roasted meats, barbecue. It's absolutely it's berry oh, yeah. and full flavored, but still has sort of uh, animalistic, you know, like fun, <laughs> complex licorice, coffee, yeah. deep notes. Kind of cool. Yeah, huh? yeah there's, there's a you lot going on in that. Bottle. I love it. That. Really, that's is delicious. That? Mm. This is not the typical under fifteen dollar wine. Yep. It's uh, closer to twenty nine. Dollars or yeah. you know, occasion. so it's, it's, it's a special it, occasion with a group of friends to share while you're grilling some nice steaks and Oof. right or Oof. lamb coffee rub yeah, like oh, yeah. coffee yeah. rubs. Yeah, so let's, uh, before we uh, move on, let's talk about coffee rubs because when I was doing the uh, coffee glaze, I did a quick search online. I didn't find much as far as sauces, savory sauces, but I found so many rubs. So Absolutely. like cowboyish, it just yeah. reminds me of being yeah. out west and you know taking an old coffee grinder and coating a chunk of meat with just finding. Spices and grilling it. <laughs> I see testosterone levels going up. <laughs> Eating it off the tin plate. <laughs> I some pinto beans. And this wine would be perfect with it, right? With, that, <laughs> yeah, with those kind of flavors. You go back in time. I don't yeah. know if those cowboys yeah. had gigandas. <laughs> well, they had the metal coffee pot. So, <laughs> so the cowboy coffee, as we used to call it. So did you guys know that there's a coffee con? So like in a <laughs> coffee con? Comic con? So yeah. every year. This just happened in Brooklyn a couple weeks ago. 20 local roasters tasting all day there's hands-on classes there's experts specializing in everything from like how to grind to using a chemex to developing your coffee tasting palette and uh the cool thing is you don't have to wear a super so hero don't have to up, i don't have to wear like a chock full of no, nuts you, know, yeah, yeah. like you can get dressed up as a cappuccino <laughs> or something if you wanted <laughs> a little crema on top of my head the crema crown <laughs> it showed you that coffee really is becoming this kind of thing in america i know we drink a lot right yeah. We drink a ton of coffee here. 40 million cups of coffee per day, equivalent to 146 billion cups of coffee per year, making the United States the leading consumer of coffee in the world. But so many it, different ways. Though. Yeah. And now I think that's what we're seeing, right? There's all these little coffee roasters, people trying different things with it. And in it's the cocktail really, world and the bars, you're also seeing cold press coffee being introduced in the cocktail. As an ingredient. Right. I'll right. tell you, yeah. that cold press coffee that they're serving now off of Nitro Taps, yeah. that is yeah. something special. Yep. To have uh, as an ice coffee, It is coffee, so right? smooth yeah. Yeah. and it comes out almost but like a, a cream. Yeah. One of the producers up mm-hmm. in Vermont, Cold Brutus. Yeah. It is absolutely amazing. So they I may bottle have seen it. them at a yeah. grocery store yeah. in the cold section. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And cold coffee, this is the season, right? Another right. way of staying caffeinated. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. More mouthwatering conversation and fun is coming up ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. After the break, the gang and I continue our conversation about coffee, but we'll add coffee expert Barry Levine's voice to the mix. Barry joins the party from Ecuador because this local coffee roaster travels the globe to bring you the best beans on earth. Every week, Faith asks you to consider making a charitable donation to Feed the Hungry. If you do, Hands on Hartford is local. They feed more than 8,000 people annually, and they help the neediest among us, including children and seniors. We'll be right back. A 
Okay, hope that first bite of the food schmooze felt like a hot biscuit with butter coming your way. Feel free to tell your food-loving friends worldwide they can enjoy the show and our online site at foodschmooze.org. Here's your second bite. Chris Prosperi, Alex Province, and I are sitting in for Faith while she's away. If you don't already know, the Food Schmooze is also a podcast. To sign up for it, go to foodschmooze.org and look for the little tab that says Get the Podcast. It's right under the search box. Click it, then hit subscribe, and every week the show will automatically pop up in your podcast feed. Sign up once and you're done. Listen on your schedule. Listen in the car. Listen while you cook. Listen while you're having your morning coffee. We have just the right amount of caffeine. (laughs) Aside from Alex, I'm in the studio with Mark Raymond from Frederick Wildman & Sons, Connecticut bartender Anthony Desario, and senior producer Robin Doyen-Aiken. Joining us via Skype is Barry Levine. Barry is co-founder of Willoughby's Coffee and Tea in New Haven, an expert on all things coffee and a longtime coffee roaster. Barry, welcome to the Food Schmooze. Nice to be with you. Hey, hey there, Barry. How are you? Hey, Barry. We're, we're actually on the line with Barry via Skype because Barry, right at this moment, is in the capital of Ecuador on his latest coffee discovery mission. So how is Ecuador? Well... My first impressions are, I haven't seen too much of it, let me tell you. I got in last night after okay. midnight, and I haven't had a lot of chance to explore the city, but my first impressions are that it's a far more sophisticated place than I had envisioned it being, and it's a lovely mm-hmm. day here. Very oh, cool. Wow. Uh, nice. Yeah. And how much of our coffee actually comes from Ecuador? Well, that's part of why I'm here. A few colleagues and myself were invited by the Ministry of Trade to promote the specialty coffee industry in the States. There is a fairly small industry here, much smaller than the neighbors Peru and Colombia, but mm. it's a high-quality coffee and some of the highest-grown, if not the highest-grown coffee on Earth. Oh, wow. altitude-wise, uh, wow. right? Here, they grow coffee at about 8,000 feet or up to 8,000 feet. But even on the equator... You have to be concerned about frost, sure. and frost is killing to coffee trees. So this is about as high as you get. You yeah. find pl- other places on the equator uh, in Ethiopia and Kenya that have similar altitudes, but this is about it. In fact, uh, the city of Quito is higher than the coffee lands here because I'm at about 9,100 wow. feet now. Wow. So to get to coffee farms, we actually have to go down. Down, down. So are you having trouble breathing at the high altitude? (laughs) No, actually, I thought I might. I'm not. I felt a little pressure today when I was waking up, but I'm fine. So what is it about the high altitude that lends itself to good coffee growing? At a higher altitude, you get more of a concentration of flavors. So the cherries, you know, coffee is fruit, and and coffee beans are the seeds of coffee cherries. The fruit itself grows smaller and more concentrated, so the sugars are more intense, the acids are more intense, and the flavors in general are. A coffee bean has sugar inside? A coffee bean has a lot of sugar. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the principal traits to look for in a quality coffee is sweetness. So when you roast it, that's what's caramelizing? When you dark roast, that's what happens. The sugars that are inherent in the coffee, they get caramelized, and there's almost an instant change of color from brown to, let's say, darkish brown or blackish brown, depending on how far you go with it. 
This is actually but, a great uh, lead into a question I have about the roasting process and exactly what going from a, mild, a, a light roast to a dark roast, what does that actually do? I mean, I think a lot of our listeners, and including me, don't quite get the gist of the different grades of darkness and right. roast. As you roast coffee, you start out with raw green coffee or hard, generally flat beans. Sometimes they're cylindrical and they're called pea berries, but as you roast it, and this is a process that takes roughly 15 minutes, there's different technologies, but the ones that we use and the ones that are principally in use are rotating drums with heat either underneath or coming in from an outside source. As the coffee is roasting uh, and going up in temperature, it goes from a stage of going from green to yellow to tan, then through progressive shades of brown. There's a chemical fracturing of water that is an expansionary crack that's heard very much like popcorn, if you will. Yeah, I've heard that. And the bean expands in size. That's generally what's referred to as first crack. Very cool. As you progress, you know, the roaster's art is really how you handle these transitions, how much heat, how much airflow, and at what point you, uh, you know, you step on the gas and so forth. As you go from first to second crack, sometime after second crack, the coffee is fully brown and it will have a second uh, expansion, but also immediately following it, a chemical change where the sugars, the sucrose, uh, changes from sweetness to a bitter sweetness. Mm. If you keep going, you basically will carbonize the coffee. <laughs> so Starbucks style, I guess, right? That really burnt. Right. So, Baron, that's where I've well, seen, like, at the second crack, they dump out the roast onto, like, this thing with air blowing through it to cool it down really quickly. Yes, there's suction that takes the heat off the coffee. All of the coffees that we have, we roast to a lighter style. We never get to mm. second crack. We'll usually pull the roast before that time because that's where we feel we have optimal individual flavor of each coffee. So It'd be a fun the, way to you sell get the coffee. Most sweetness, you get bright notes and, and acidity, and depending on what kind of variety you're roasting, you can have floral notes, you can have fruit notes. And then as you roast darker, the coffees begin to taste more one like another. The individuality of them begins to narrow. And by the time you've got really dark roasted coffee, the distinction between one and another is, is minimal. Very interesting. You know, I, I, sometimes I liken it to how you prepare meat where something might be rare or medium rare. And in that zone, you have more flavor. Yeah. And then as you move towards dark roast, the dark roast would start to become medium well and the darkest roast would be well done. Right. Yeah, you don't right. taste the difference between so, well done steaks. <laughs> right. So, right. so, where, so would the, where would the differentiation come when we talk about dark roasts and light roasts and then you get into something like a French roast? The lingo has kind of changed over the years and it's also regionally different. On our coast, the French roast is lighter than the Italian roast because these names have been made up and come from years ago. Market names, I think now the trend has been to refer to things more as dark roast or you know, very dark roast, if you will. But a French roast would be something that has gone past second crack, has gone through this chemical transformation of sugar, and the oils that are inside the cell structure of the coffee start to extrude to the outside surface of the bean. That's why they get so shiny, a, right? Yeah, when you I, see I've them noticed at the, the oils. Store. Yes, exactly. And once this 
process begins. It's a matter of 30 seconds or so between going from this uh, light, non-sheen, uh, non-darkened look to it taking on that appearance. And then if you keep it in the roaster still longer, you know, you're going to get an even darker, almost blackish bean with more profuse oil. Very wow. cool. Can we switch to beans for a second? Because I'm really curious, how many different types of beans do you use? Well, I know we got some wine guys there. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, in the world of wine, there are many varietals we're all used to. For sure. Uh, Cabernet Sauvignons and Merlots and Syrahs and uh, a whole other group, you know, Chardonnays and Sauvignon Blancs and on and on and the white the grapefruit uh, types. And in the coffee world, there are similarities. Uh, there are two principal families, Typica and Bourbon. Typica is sort of the original DNA from whence it came in Ethiopia and Yemen. Bourbon was a natural mutation of it that occurred years later. Uh, so those are the two main families. And then from those main divisions, there are perhaps hundreds of other varieties. Some of the more popular uh, newer ones that, that we hear about are, there's one called the Geisha, which has become a very high-priced coffee. It's a very, very floral and, and fruity. There are fruity types and floral yeah. types. Uh, this is a bean that came from Ethiopia, made its way to uh, Costa Rica and from Costa Rica to Panama. It's grown widely now in Panama and fetches very large uh, prices. Uh, another is Pacamara, which is one that I'm a personal fan of, which I get kidded about a lot by my <laughs> colleagues. But yeah, the Pacamara is a very like, dark fruit flavor. It's a, it's a very bold flavor profile that has the plums and raisins and uh, black currant flavors going on in it. You know, so you can find varieties to roast that will give you lots of differences, and you can be introduced to lots of different flavors. Barry, how do we try these different flavors if we wanted to go try fine geisha coffee beans? Well, at this moment in time, we don't have geisha, but we typically do about uh, probably 10 months of the year. We're waiting for a new coffees to come in. I would mm-hmm. check our website. We always have, you know, what's in season. And a lot of the coffees in the coming months are coming from Eastern Africa. We have Kenya's and Ethiopian coffees arriving. We also have uh, lots of coffee from Central America. We buy a lot of coffee there from Costa Rica, the examples from Colombia. So I would encourage uh, everyone, of course, come to our website and uh, shop around. Barry, I'm glad that you mentioned a couple that were your favorites. I took a field trip over to Willoughby's the other day, and I have to tell you, the aroma from Willoughby's, anyone who's been there before knows this, (laughs) there are a few steps up and then these glass doors, and the aroma that comes from Willoughby's, the wonderful scent of these coffees, which there are a whole wall, if you want to see like a, a whole wall of coffee beans. Anything you could imagine in season, you were going to find there. And the aroma of the shop just hits you even before you you're open from, the oh, yeah, door. From a block away. As soon as <laughs> right? you pull up, it's, it's a wonderful thing. You know you're getting close. Exactly. Faith uh, says this thing about wine that when it leaves an echo in your mouth, you know that you're in the presence of a good wine. I felt mm-hmm. like before I even opened the door at Willoughby's that I was in the presence of really good coffee. Thank you. This is how we identify ourselves. We primarily consider ourselves coffee roasters, particularly high-quality coffee. Thank you for talking us through some of the roasting process. Okay. I think what we should do is ask you to come back yeah. when you come back from Ecuador. And have you come, in the, yeah. and come into the studio. Yeah, and we yeah. could do oh, something. I'd love to come in, and then we can make some coffee there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love yeah. It. Perfect. Love now we're it. talking. 
Thank you so much, Barry, for schooling us on the roasting process and teaching us a little bit about new and upcoming coffees. Chris, take it away. Thanks again, Barry. When you come back to the New Haven area, we definitely want to have you come in the studio and talk us through more of the coffee process. All right. Thanks, everybody. Hey, have getting a- together. Thanks, Barry. Enjoy. What is part of this? (laughs) We love the local here on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. Connecticut has many great independent coffee shops and roasters. Of course, Willoughby's is one, Blue State Coffee, Coffee with a K, also in New Haven and right next door to our studio. Plus, there's Common Grounds in uh, Brantford and Tassane in Hartford. Alex, you have any? Yeah, Willoughby's is right down the street from me, Madison. Being the shoreline, I'm fortunate enough to have both Willoughby's and Common Grounds. So I'm sandwiched right in between. Changes your whole perspective on coffee, right? Even like in the summertime when they do the granitas down there, it's just, ah, cool. All right, if you have a favorite coffee shop or roaster, tell us about it on Facebook. Search Faith Middleton. Please support your local food growers, food makers, and coffee roasters for on-demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week and to find Faith's food, wine, cocktail, restaurants, quick videos, and recipes we feature. We're always online talking to you at foodschmooze.org. After a short break, we'll talk to Floyd Cardoz about his new book, Flavor Walla. Floyd is sharing recipes for fragrant shrimp curry, grilled cauliflower, and his Sunday morning marsala omelet. Stay with us. have one more mouth-watering bite of the food schmooze coming up. Here's something great to know about. Sign up for the app called NPR One. Just download it from the iPhone App Store or your Android device. And once you do, you can set WNPR as your local station. Couldn't be easier. Download the free app NPR One and start listening. Let's party on. More food schmooze. This is the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze Party, a show all about the richness of life. I'm Chris Prosperi. Wine broker Alex Province and I are in for faith. We're also joined in the studio by regular contributor Mark Raymond, Connecticut bartender Anthony DeSario, and senior producer Robin doyen Aiken. Robin produced today's show, which you can hear in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, and the Hamptons. The show airs on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and Faith's curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. Talk with us on Facebook, too. Search Faith Middleton. Now let's get some recipes and our special guest on the line, Robin. All right, guys, joining us now, Floyd Cardoz is the celebrated chef behind New York City's Tabla, which Chris told me in its heyday, has eaten there many times. Favorite vegetarian restaurant in New York? North End Grill and Pawala. He also owns Bombay Canteen in his native country, India. Our listeners might know Floyd from, he was the winner of Top Chef Masters Season 3, but you will soon know him, I know, right? You'll soon know him as the Flavor Walla, the one who brings the flavor. Yeah. Yep. Floyd's new book, Flavor Walla, Big Flavor, Bold Spices, A New Way to Cook the Foods You Love, is out now, available everywhere. 
Floyd Cardo's Welcome to the Food Schmooze Party. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Hey, Floyd. Welcome, Floyd. So, Floyd, maybe it's from your acclaimed New York restaurants or your first ever taco stand at the Met City Field or your Top Chef Master's Win that allowed you to reach celebrity chef status. But it's clear from your book that you are not in it for the fame. You're in it for the love of cooking. You're a home cook. A family cook, you just happen to have a better stocked <laughs> spice cabinet than the rest of us. My mom used to always say, most people eat to live. Mm-hmm. I live to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. I'm with you there. And I, I can't understand how more people in the world are not like me. <laughs> <laughs> no, Agreed. I, I believe that when we cook, we cook for our pleasure, but we also mm-hmm. cook for the pleasure of our guests. So yes. the more people I can mm-hmm. get involved in food and enjoy food and experiment with food, the happier I get. And the recipes, they have all a different spice or different kind of twist to them? Yeah, you know, it, I feel people, we get palate fatigue. Mm-hmm. Mm. We don't want to have the same thing again and again, and we want to change it up a little bit. So when I cook at home, i got to try and make it interesting. We should say, too, that, Floyd, you're joining us via phone in New York City. You are at one of your new restaurants right now, correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm at Paola. We're slated to open very soon. Okay. I think I can, hear the, yes, I can I hear the taxi Road cabs trip. going by. <laughs> so, Floyd, looking through the book, the one thing that rings true in most of your recipes, and I love cooking like this, too, is the use of spices. I mean, I always say when I'm talking to people about cooking at home is that you don't use enough spices. You buy a thing of spices and it literally sits in your cabinet for months, if not years, without ever reusing it. I think it's important to use spices in the year that they're grown. Uh, Uh, You're right. People all over this country and all over the world, except in India, (laughs) they buy spices, they put them in jars, they put them in a cabinet and they forget about them. So I say buy an ounce. Buy two ounces. And I prefer buying them whole and I buy a small spice grinder. But if you have to you know, buy them ground, buy smaller quantities, go to your ethnic store, buy a place where there's a lot of turnover. You know, basically what you're trying to get from the spices are the essential oils, which give it its flavor. It's got health benefits. It's got all these things that you want. But as it sits, these oils start evaporating. They don't have these benefits. So what's the point in putting dust in your food? So you're right. <laughs> yeah, Faith always says for a recipe that you only need a pinch, you'll just go to yeah. the health food market and buy a little pinch yeah. of it. She'll buy literally two tablespoons yeah. of so spending like $35 on spices. You yeah. buy exactly Spice what pens. you need, yeah. and it's fresh. Yeah, that's the best way to go. I think Faith knows what she's talking about. One of the recipes from your book that we actually made this morning, because I think Robin and I were both intrigued with it when we saw it, was your Sunday morning masala omelet. Oh, my gosh. And everyone makes Delicious. omelets, but you have a totally new approach of making an omelet. I tweeted a picture yesterday because I have this small garden. I grow cilantro. And I said, you know what? I'm going to make that omelet. So I did make the Sunday morning omelet <laughs> on, on a Tuesday. Yeah. That is such a great way when it's tomato season or if you have spring onions mm-hmm. or you have oh, spring yeah. garlic. You have yeah. things. You can just put it in. And it's so simple and so easy, and it just makes your omelet so much more interesting. It was one of the best omelets I think, Chris, I've ever had. Turmeric is one of those spices that people have in their spice cabinets, and they'll use a teaspoon once, and then they'll never use it again. And this is definitely a way of getting it out there and using it. And isn't it healthy? Turmeric is very healthy. It's an antioxidant. They're finding that it has positive effects against fighting cancer. If you have a sore throat, you can goggle the turmeric. So it's it's a great spice. So before we move on from that recipe, you have a story about that that I love. In India, when you travel by trains, so you'd go to Bombay to Delhi in a train, which would normally be an overnight train. As the foodie that I was, when the trains would pull into the stations at 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning, 
these guys would come running around selling these things called omelets. Omelette. They'd spell it with an A. And they'd run around and you put your hand through the windows and you try and buy these, these <laughs> things so cool. to eat. But my omelets are a little different because they would throw three diced pieces of onion and a few flakes of cilantro. And that would be, and your omelette would be paper thin. But before you realize it was paper thin, your train was pulling out of the station. <laughs> but so it's still, have to do anything about it. It but, still probably tasted so good though that early in, on a train trip. It used to be awesome. And you know, when I go now, I go to Bombay pretty often. And the first thing I eat when I get off a plane and I go there and I say, can I get a masala omelette? Well, Floyd, we put this one on our website, foodschmooze.org, because I think everyone should make this this Sunday. Yeah. This might be the only omelet that we've ever had on the show. We've had a few omelets because we're big brunch people here. We are big brunch people, yeah. This might be the only omelet that actually has a movie credit. Yeah, it it does. (laughs) And it actually was was made for the 100-foot journey when they were shooting it. I did the food for it, and we made the masala omelet. All right, so now everyone has to make this. It's become a weekday omelet for me to not because (laughs) it's, like, so easy to make. So before we move on to another recipe, I have another question about spices and your coffee grinder and toasting or not toasting. What are your thoughts on that? One of the most common questions I get from people when they're cooking something Indian, how should I toast the spice? Yeah. I believe you don't need to toast the spice. Okay. What I like to say, you need to bloom them. And by blooming, oh. I mean extracting the oil, mm-hmm. the essential oil out of the spice. When you toast, you're dry toasting it in a pan and you're changing the flavor. You're cooking the spice, but you're changing the flavor. So every recipe, depending on what effect you're trying to get in the dish. If you toast it, it'll make it smoky, it'll make it earthy, it'll change the flavor of the mm-hmm. dish. But if you bloom it in oil, whole or ground, brings out that same flavor, but it's slightly different. So you don't have to toast it, mm-hmm. but you do have to cook it. It sounds very much like we were just talking about with roasting coffee, yeah. where the essential oils come out to the, uh, you know, to the surface. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, the great thing about toasting spices is like I love to toast cumin and black pepper. Yeah. When I'm making a tomato salad, I'll take cumin, black pepper, and fennel seed, toast oh. them, grind them, and just sprinkle it on top. And it just changes simple tomatoes into these amazing flavors that you didn't expect. Yep. And it's so easy to do, right? Get two coffee grinders, one for your coffee and one for your spices. It's really easy. You get a jar, you open the jar, put the spice and grind it. Yep. And when you're done, I like to take some dry bread, sure. put it in there, yeah. so it gets all the small bits of spice that are in there. Yep. And it's clean uh, and it ready know. for the next use. The next recipe I want to talk about is grilled cauliflower because I see it a lot now where people are using whole cauliflower and cooking whole or halved cauliflower. Cauliflower used to be such an under-celebrated vegetable. It's got such a nice complex flavor. Like you can Mm. even eat it raw. You know, I started using it raw and I started roasting it in a pan. I started roasting it in the oven. And then one day I decided that I was going to grill it whole. They were absolutely gorgeous. It just changed its flavor so much. So if you get a small cauliflower, I make an X mark on the stem. That's the most dense part of the cauliflower. You buy it at the grocery store with like three inches of stem and you keep the three inches of stem on. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is just me because I hate wasting anything. Yeah. Yeah. I peel it off, I slice it in, throw some salt in it, and I eat it. Raw. I love yeah. that. I'm the same way. I also thing. like broccoli stems and the cores oh, to yeah. Uh, yeah, Why cabbage? don't you throw yeah. it away? Yeah. Most people do because yeah. they don't know what to do with it. But then what I do is then I make an X mark on the stem that's on the cauliflower itself. I Blanch it in water for about two to three minutes. Take it out, shock it. Shock it in ice water. Ice water, yeah. So it stops the cooking. I throw it on the grill, brush with a little bit of oil, and it cooks in about eight to ten minutes sometimes. Depends on how much you've cooked it and how big it is. It's ready, and then I top it with... uh, So in the book, I do this topping with with vinegar, balsamic vinegar, with ginger, with shallots. uh, Ginger? Raisins. Mm. Ooh, wow. And chili. You know, I love using chili. Yeah. uh, Not for the heat purposes. I like to use it as a note. So it's in the background. It doesn't hit you over the head. Like a bass note. And it's like, wow, that's awesome. What is that? 
So I think more people should use chili peppers and not be afraid of them. So we love this topping. One of the things that strikes us about your recipes, a lot of them, is that 99% of it is familiar. And then there's that 1% or more that's a twist on the familiar that gives it an accent that's sometimes Indian, sometimes Thai, sometimes Mexican or Moroccan or American. And uh, I'm thinking of your cornbread stuffing and cider glazed scallops here. Your flavor profiles are so truly global. And so while lots of us have had a head of cauliflower before, grilled or roasted, I can't say that I've ever had one topped with ginger <laughs> and pine nuts and green raisins. I haven't tried it, but I, I want to now. Me too. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what the green raisins bring to this? The green raisins bring a little bit of acidity and sweetness. What are green raisins? <laughs> the green raisins basically are Thompson seedless grapes. Yeah. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Sun dried. Dried. Yeah. You know what I like to do is I like to plump them up before I use them. In hot water or something? Uh, you can do hot water. You can do wine. You could do Ooh. vinegar. Ooh. You could do a bunch of things. I think interesting food happens. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is when there is a balance between salty, spicy, sweet, and bitter. Oh yeah. Yes. yes. Agreed. And also it happens when there's different textures. In that. Yeah. So now you have yeah. the, the texture of the pine nuts, you have the texture of the candied ginger, you have the texture mm. of the raisins, and you have the texture of the cauliflower. Mm-hmm. So Agreed. all these things coming together, is like, so every bite you take has got something different. It's like, oh, what is that? I want to have more. And that's the reason why I put, I put the raisins in there, yeah. because I think raisins and cauliflower work perfectly well together. That's true. Floyd, it's so interesting because we're trying to eat more vegetables at home, and then I walk by cauliflower at the grocery store and it doesn't necessarily sing to me but then i hear you talk about it and now i'm thinking you know this is such an interesting way to to eat just how spices can transform a tomato to something so much more interesting yeah Yeah. Yeah. everything can be transformed with spices very very simple and i'm I'm just waiting for my new restaurant paola to open because i'm going to be doing things with vegetables on that note going from Mm -hmm. flavor walla to paola i was a huge fan of tabla it was my favorite restaurant my partner's a vegetarian, and it was like the number one place on our list to go when we were in New York City. So, yeah, tell us about the new place. So the new place is in Soho. After I closed Tabla, I always wanted to open an Indian-inspired restaurant. And I opened a restaurant in Bombay called the Bombay Canteen, which is very Indian. And I started doing more research on Indian food and realized there's so much of food that Americans don't know about. And that's oh, sure. and I'm so jazzed about that. I thought, you know what? Let me open a restaurant and let me start celebrating Indian food now. I'm yep. not going to bring ingredients from India per se. I want to use all local American ingredients mm-hmm. because that's the way I love to. Oh, wow. Fish from the Northeast and vegetables that we find, sweet potatoes and, and cauliflower, obviously, and beets and you know, Brussels sprouts and asparagus don't grow in India, but will be on my menu. Yeah. It's not going to be formal. No white tablecloth. Yeah. There'll be wooden tables. Casual, you want to do wood roasting because my grandmother used to roast in her kitchen over wood, so I'm going to do that. Like fish wrapped in banana leaves. Ooh, oh, yeah. It <laughs> just makes me want to get oh, up wow. and go. Floyd, yeah. isn't that sort of the creation of food where you take um, sort of a cooking style and you go someplace new and then you incorporate what you find there with your cooking techniques from the past or spices and you create something that's totally novel and new? That's what should happen. Our country is such a vast mix of different cultures that we want these interesting flavors. We want these interesting foods. 
But at the same time, we want it with things that we are familiar with. Mm-hmm. You know, if I put pomfret on the menu, nobody knows what a pomfret is. Yeah. Yeah, I right. thought it was a city in Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, but everybody knows what black bass is. Everybody yeah. knows what striped bass is. Everybody knows what red snapper is. Yeah. And then the other interesting thing about Indian food is not Indian food is very spicy. Yeah. People think that you can only have Indian food with beer. Yeah. No. There are so many wines that work perfectly with most dishes mm-hmm. because they're not that spicy. And yeah. even if they are spicy, there are some wines that work with it. I Absolutely. think with Indian food, we just have a very small taste of it here in this country. And we do love what we have because what you're saying is true. There's so much more there that we don't know about. You introduced me to cauliflower Manchurian, which is a cauliflower dish from that region of uh, India that's near Asia, right? Near China. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? It was a dish that is an Indian dish, but from a totally different region of India. It's, there are Chinese people who came to India in the late 1800s with the British bought to work on the leather factories. So they bought their cuisine to India. Now, there are dishes in India that have adapted themselves huh. and changed. Like Chinese dishes become very Indian. Yeah. And, and cauliflower Manchurian is one of them. Huh. I doubt it exists in any Chinese restaurant huh. in China. Yeah. But it's got ginger and garlic and yeah. it's got a little bit of ketchup and it's yeah. got soy. And it's got a little sweetness, a little sour. Yeah. And that's, you know, the Indian profiles in there. You know, every immigrant who comes to this country does that where they mm-hmm. start adapting things. I don't know if broccoli ever existed in China before. <laughs> right, every right. Chinese dish, every Chinese dish has does now. Eat the broccoli. <laughs> yeah. Now, we just have a couple of minutes left. But before we let Floyd go, I wanted to ask you about your shrimp curry with cauliflower. And our listeners, if they're interested, if they love a good curry, they can find this recipe on foodschmooze.org. My grandmother used yeah. to make a rendition of this dish for me yeah. when I was a kid. She made it for her kids. I made it for my kids when I grow up. And it's such a simple dish to make because it's got the great flavor of cauliflower. It's got turmeric in there. And it has tamarind paste. Mm-hmm. Now, tamarind is this amazingly tart, almost acidic, slightly sweet mm. fruit that mm-hmm. is used in Mexican food. And it's used in Indian food. Yep. And it, in my opinion, it works extremely well with seafood. It's almost like adding a dash of lemon juice to all seafood. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I add a dash of tamarind in any fish with the sauce that I make. And, it goes, and it goes exactly, great in cocktails, too. It makes great cocktails, and I do this wow. amazing tamarind margarita, which is also... There you go. Wow. Using tamarind adds that little bit of acidic sweetness to a dish that you don't expect. Mm-hmm. What I like to send is a very hard flavor to describe. I like to call it more like a round a roundness in the flavor profile rather than a straight, flat, acidic flavor like when you go to vinegar. Vinegar right. is very mm-hmm. flat, acidic, whereas tamarind is round and sweeter, sour flavor, almost like orange juice. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and you, you recommend eating this leftover curry for breakfast, which <laughs> I've never had a curry for breakfast, but reading the description and seeing the picture, which is so gorgeous, I thought, well, I'm just going to want to eat this for any meal. So if you have it for breakfast, I think you're allowed to have a beer with it then. Right? <laughs> you know what you do when you have well, a Michelada. Is you take it, what's left over, and you reduce it down until it's really, really thick like a paste. Yeah. And then you fry eggs and you put this on top and you eat oh. it. It's like so good. Oh. Yeah, sounds so good. That's Saturday breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Floyd. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun talking about food. And Thank good you. luck with the new spot. Yep. Thank you you'll, so you'll much. be seeing us soon. Yes, you I will. Indeed. Just for want sure. to remind everyone that all the information on Floyd's book, as well as the shrimp curry, the grilled cauliflower, and his delicious Sunday morning masala omelet is on uh, foodschmooze.org. A note for our Connecticut listeners, you're bound to be near a different Indian market. Look for Patel Brothers in Norwalk and Manchester, Royal Indian Grocery Store in West Hartford, and Barat Bazaar on Boston Post Road in Orange. If you have a favorite Indian market, let us know on Facebook. Find us by searching Faith Middleton, and I'll add Cosmos in West Hartford. Oh, yeah. Tonight. Oh, yeah. That's oh, one yeah. of my favorites. The whole gang wants to thank Floyd Cardoz, author of Flavor Walla. We also want to thank Barry Levine, co-founder of Willoughby's Coffee and Tea in New Haven, for joining us all the way from Ecuador. No worries about the time difference. Barry is always well caffeinated. <laughs> Alex, thanks for being my partner in crime. Thanks also to Mark and Anthony and Robin. Listen to the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen for Faith's fun 60-second food schmoozes. And join the conversation with us. We're always online, or at least Faith, Robin, and Alex are, at foodschmooze.org. From the WNPR studios in beautiful New Haven, I'm Chris Prosper. Everybody eats when they come to mind.